You're listening to the Zoe Turner Podcast, business and mindset conversations that will help you move from fear and uncertainty to development and growth so that you can crush both life and business. Please welcome your host, Zoe Turner. achieving the middle distance double. It would be arguably the greatest ever achievement by a British There's a new level of confidence with Kelly. She, she oozes it. She We're not going to hang the gold medal round Kelly's neck just yet because she's got a tough race and difficult I'm fights. sure she can do it. I don't put too much pressure on her. I just told her the whole of Britain what you're watching, so don't worry about it. So can Kelly Holmes do it again? Here comes Kelly Holmes. There's a lot of pushing and shoving there. Thomas Shoma didn't seem to have much, but she's going to go with Kelly. Kelly coming on the outside. Looks so easy. Has she got enough in the home straight? Hayeska tries to move out, but Kelly looking round to see where the danger is. There doesn't appear to be too much. Now she's got to push on. Now she's got to kick for home. Kelly Holmes going for two gold medals. It's going to be her historic second goal. That is the greatest performance in the history of British distance running. Kelly Holmes has done now at the age of 34, which she's been threatening to do for the last 10 or 12 years. She is the double Olympic champion. Please welcome to the podcast, Dame Kelly Holmes today. Thank you. Kelly, what's it like for you watching that back after all these years? Does it still conjure up as much emotion for you as it does for, for us watching it? Yeah, I think because I, I play a lot when I do my motivational speaking. So um, I'm used to kind of seeing that montage, but it's really surprising people's reactions still so long on, you know, because I think it was 
a big moment back in 2004, you know, I was the only female to in the UK to ever have won two gold medals at any Olympic Games. And I think the last person was Albert Hill back in 1921, 27, something like that. So um, obviously it was a big moment for the nation. And that's what I think people kind of brought into, but it also brought into the story and my build up. So when you see it and I play it now to this day, it's emotional for me because I still think, oh, my gosh, I, I actually did it. And also people end up cheering, even though they know the result, you know. You still get yeah. people, oh, you know, go Kelly. It's, like, it's really remarkable. Oh, what I love about that clip is Cram Cram's commentary. That is, like, legendary within itself. It really is. It really is. You could tell his bias was definitely coming out when he was um, getting really excited then. That's right. What are you grateful for at the moment? Wow, I'm grateful for a lot of things. You know, I'm grateful for family and friends not being ill through this sort of COVID period of time. I think that's really important. But, you know, really upsetting to understand a lot of people that have been hit by it, family, families right across the world. Um, I'm grateful for the fact that I just had an operation which went well, which I didn't want. Achilles tendon that's why I'm sitting in a weird position with a cushion up behind me because I've got my leg in plaster but it all went well so um let's just hope that the rehab goes as well as the op did that's probably what's, what's the recovery time on your on your op how long um, are you going to be um kind of out of action in terms of sport for a while yeah, so I've got my leg up in plaster, I've got to keep off of it for two weeks, then it's in a boot for four, then it's rehab from anything from three to six months. So clearly for me, I want the three-month period. There's no way I'm keeping off of this for six months. And then, um, but I've already started back doing abs classes because during lockdown, <laughs> I started doing live sessions. This is the thing. started doing live sessions only during lockdown. I'd never done live fitness sessions at all. And I'm now on... I think it was 162 live free fitness. For the past 15 weeks, I've been taking abs and core every morning. And the only two I couldn't do was like Friday and Monday. And then I got my friends to take over. And then I was back to it yesterday. And today. I was like, right, if I can do it, then I'll be back, pop up in the air, let's go. <laughs> yeah, and if that's not inspiration for anyone to do it, then I don't know what is. Um, I thought you'd been doing that then for ages. I didn't realise it was a relatively new thing, the military in motion and the going live. Yeah, like all of that. I mean, military in motion, even though I'd been doing some events you know, like on stage at events. I'd only done three sort of live dance fit events. I hadn't done anything on like the social at all, just sort of little pictures. And then in the end, it gives you time, doesn't it? I mean, it gave me time to think more and time that you normally traveling, getting on a plane, getting off a plane, going in the car, you know, all of that. You almost gain time. So I use this time as a positive experience, you know, to do things that I wouldn't had had time to capture so for me to build a community through this 15-week period of a brand you know completely new brand and the community are so strong and connected you know I feel you know really lucky to have had that uh, chance. For those that don't know what is military in motion? Okay so military in motion is the strap lines think like a soldier perform like a champion and the reason why it brings in two elements of my career, being in the military and being an international athlete, and I believe that people should 
believe personally that they can be better than they think they are. That's either in their attitude and mindset or their physical capabilities. And the only reason, the only way you can do that is to one, get that belief, self-belief and confidence in your abilities, but to be pushed sometimes. Sometimes you just need that extra push. And so what the concept is, is basically different fitness classes, all under different names like MIM Fit and Strong and Dance Fit. So they're actual classes, but the concept's going to be taken into doing outdoor events, nighttime, night crawl events, and programs which will be able to be brought on like an app. Oh, wow, that's awesome. I took part in the, in the 800. I have to admit, though, I didn't finish it because <laughs> I was playing... <laughs> I'm sorry, I was playing catch up and um, I went for uh, excuses, excuses, but I went for a run like on the second to last day where I knew I knew that I had a fair bit to do and I just knocked myself out because it's so hot out here at the moment. Yeah, really. And, um, I don't know what it was, but I just felt really ill and, and then that was it. But I have been doing the 1,500 one. I'm doing that, yeah. yeah. I'm not posting, I'm not posting the videos, but I promise I am doing that. Excellent. And um, yeah, it's been a bit of a challenge. You know, I think anything when it's consistent, it does become a bit of a challenge, which is why it's so good to have, to be held accountable and to have these challenges. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, even just doing 15 minutes of abs, it's like I neglect my abs so much. So that's been like a big challenge for me. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. The reason why, you know, the 800 one was just, oh, going to blast it. And I didn't expect people to do it, but they all just got on it. Mm -hmm. God, yeah, 800 was more like a structure. Like you say, it's kind of it's 15 days, but you are controlled with what you can do each day. So you're doing like a hundred reps or something, but it doesn't matter how you do those reps and where you fit them into your lifestyle. And that's what I'm trying to get the people obviously are different lifestyles, but everybody can commit to a small period of time in their day if it's for their own health. You know, so 15 minutes of that minimum, you could do that in ups up so quickly, you know what I mean? Or you get up 15 minutes earlier and it's about controlling people. So as the 800, everyone was rushing. They got so excited. Some people finished within three days. I mean, that was five lots of 800 reps all in yeah. five days. And I was like, you're crazy. So I made this one more about controlling the fact that they have to commit to something. And that's what's been the changeover for people generally is about their mindset, their attitude to training, and actually their feel-good factor. They know what they're capable of now. And those people on that platform are actually so different in terms of their levels, their abilities, their background to fitness, their ages. I mean, seriously, they're completely different. And you would have seen that on some of the videos. And these are people like are transforming themselves because they're changing their lifestyle. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, and I've seen that, and it's awesome. It's awesome to see so many abilities coming together yeah. and, and just giving it their all and just committing to change. Yeah. And they've treated you so well. I've noticed you've had, like, loads of presents. Everything. They've, like, honestly, and this is the thing, I just didn't expect stuff like this. I mean, I love interacting with people. I love trying to get that best out of people. Now, that's why I started the whole principle of just doing free sessions, just to, you know, gain that community. And it's funny how they get to know you, isn't it? Because everything I have spoken to them about over this 15-week uh, period, I literally got in the skiff. You know, it's everything from 
the herbal teas that I drink to an emu that I'm obsessed with across the world. <laughs> emu, you know, my my hackers, yeah. you know, kind of my bath salts, everything. I think you're going to be set up for the year now. Oh, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> 14 weeks up to this week of doing the abs every morning. Now all I bet is chocolate laying down. So this is going to like... The thing is, I think when when you give so much value, what you do like comes from the heart. I think you automatically kind of warm to people and you can, you've given so much on your Instagram and on your YouTube over kind of recent weeks and, and months. And I think, you know, obviously people just want to support you and give back to you when oh, it's lovely. you're feeling a bit low. That, that's great. Let's go back to your Olympic dream. Yeah. Because um, like you said earlier, what was so special? I mean, it was an incredible achievement winning two gold medals in itself. But also what was so special is the journey about how you got there. We just love that story. Like the Brits just love a story of kind of hard work, grit, determination. And my question to you is what did you learn most about yourself on that journey? And how has that informed now what you do today? Yeah, I think I learned a lot around my at attitude to being sort of successful and that whole resilience and what resilience really means, what that takes. And resilience is, you know, a, a word that we use a lot in terms of overcoming barriers or problems. I think when you actually know that through a period of time, you've never given up on something. You've always believed in that ability to push through to that next level. Your answer really means. I think also for myself personally, I'm having drive and determination. Almost like a blessing, you know, because from when I was really young, not really knowing who I was, not my identity, not really kind of being good at anything other than running you end up then capturing that self, your self-worth through something you enjoy. And mine was because I was running and I enjoyed it, it gave me a sense of purpose and identity. So I was held on for that from a very young age. Then I was very successful at a very young age in sport. And then through that journey as an international athlete, so 12 years as an international athlete, going through the highs and lows actually say a lot about a person almost society generally for us to give up on anything when it becomes tougher than our expectations so the moment we hear hit an environment in our life that brings us to that point where we're doubting our ability to move forward to succeed to achieve we always take the back step and it's easier to stop at where it was comfortable than to push to that next level and I feel like I've learned to, one, talk to people about it and tell people that's not what they should do, but also to know it myself that actually the biggest risk in life is giving up on something because you'll live with if only and if only is too late. Whereas a risk of trying to achieve takes you to new levels. You know, you'll learn something new. You're, you're maybe going a different direction. Had you never pushed yourself, you're always going to be very uncomfortable and that's not how anybody should really live their life because I think so many of us can do more than we believe we can. Yeah. So I've learned a lot about that push and drive and focusing on like where I think I can go and going through a journey to get there and not being worried about the journey. It reminds me of the story 
the three feet from gold analogy. Have you, you've heard of that story. So I haven't. No, no what's this? Napoleon <laughs> well, Hill in, in Think and Grow Rich, he used the analogy and he talked about three feet from gold. Story of a young man during the gold rush. And he'd been mining away in a Colorado mine for like months and months. And then he finally quit. He sold all his machinery to a junk man. And then when the junk man bought it, he got an expert in to see what was going on and to see where this gold was. And apparently he was three feet away from gold. Oh. Um, so I guess the lessons to be learning it, learned in that is that people give up right before they hit gold. And there's so many of us, yeah. like me included, at times in my life where I've given up, we're literally that close to achieving our dream. Thankfully, you kept going because you did achieve your dream. You achieved the, the double gold. Yeah. Many people would have given up in that situation. And I think it's because no one knows the timeline for achieving a dream. You don't know, one, if you're going to, and two, what that timeline is. So you giving up is almost like that whole, well, it's never going to happen. But the thing is, if you, don't, if you just give up, then you, you never know if it's going to happen. You know, it took me 20 years of dreaming to become Olympic champion, 12 years of dreaming, effectively. And I could have given up at many of the times when I had severe injury problems and told I'm not even going to be able to get back to my international athletics career. Told that I'd be out for a whole season and if I got back running, I'd even be lucky. Didn't believe him. And uh, I think that was basically <laughs> believed in myself more than the physios, I suppose. <laughs> Where did that self-belief come from? Did it come from your childhood? Did it come from your, your mum and dad? The, the incredible support that you had from your mum and dad? No, I think it was, you know, I was so different to all of my family in terms of my attitude to succeed, I think, in in those ways. My mum wasn't into sport whatsoever, you know, thought, thought I was crazy with all the stuff I used to do in trade. You know, my stepdad used to play football years and years ago when I grew up, when he brought me up, but there was no kind of real connection other than that. And um, I think it was... When I was 14, as I say, I was at school and, well, actually, I mean, before that. So when I was at school, I didn't ever believe I could do it. I was just an academic at all, you know, and the way they taught you was almost like you have to know it before they've even taught you it, mm. as opposed to realising we're all very different at the way that we learn. And uh, it was only my PE teacher that told me I could be good at something if I concentrate, and that was the run. You know, she pointed out I was a good runner. One that person believed in me was really powerful because for once I, I kind of had a sense of, you know, belonging, like, oh, somebody actually cares about what I do. And then I by the Olympics when I was 14, set me on a dream and a journey. And then wanting to go into the army since I was 14, set me on that, right, that's what I'm going to do for a career. So each step of that was almost like, okay, that's what I'm going for. And I was a good international athlete when I was a junior. You know, I won my first Olympic Games actually was winning when I was 17, a gold medal at the Mini Youth Olympic Games. And so I'd always had that attitude about, I'm going to, maybe it was always about proving to other people I could do it. I think that was the initial thing, proving to others that put me down that I can do it. And then once you get that attitude and that bug inside you, it almost doesn't go. You know, it's kind of almost, yes, you want to achieve yourself. And yes, it's for satisfaction for yourself. But that burning thing in your head as you grow up about, you know, everyone else writing you off, you know, you can be better. I think it's actually a character that I just had. And um, 
then been in the army for nearly 10 years, you know, discipline, respect, being pushed to your limits, you know, that helped my athletics without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You finally achieved your Olympic dream when you gave up your full-time job in the army. Most elite athletes today, they train, eat and sleep. That is their job. Not many of them hold down a full-time profession and train be an elite athlete and to train for the Olympics. I mean, you did that for many years. What impact do you think that that had on your success in the early days? Your first Olympics was in when you were 26. Got the double gold at the age of 34. Yeah, so I left the military when I was 27. So for 94, 95, 96 and 97, I was already been in the army then since well since I was 18. I when I first came back into international athletics I wasn't really committed to it you know I was just a strong female soldier that used to take all the guys on assault courses and you know with tabbing and weapons and weights and things and I was just so strong you know so I was strong in mind first of all which I think really helped and then when I got into athletics, I almost wasn't scared of anyone because I didn't know anyone having been out of the world of athletics for a long time by then. And so when I first went onto the track at a national championship, qualified, like literally, it was, it was so weird, the process, because I was running for the army and uh, they started to put me in the men's team because they kept saying, you can't run against the women because you keep laughing at them. So like, go in the men's, so you push yourself. So I ended up going in the men's at this army championship, 1,500 metres, and coming third out of 14 runners. And it took me from like a really kind of club standard time to a national, you know, a really good national time. So then I went to the national championship and suddenly I'm winning the national championships and being number one in Great Britain for 1,500 metres, you know, within like three races. But the year before that was even weirder is that I wasn't even into my athletics at all, but I'd won the inter-services, so that's Army, Navy, Air Force uh, in the UK. And again, I'd won with the guys and then they said, why did you go to the national championships? And I was like, I had no idea, you know, come just off. And I got pulled out as corporal homes, you know, on the track, which of course would have been weird to my competitors. No one knew me. No one knew that I'd had an, uh, a school career, as they were still in the sport. And I ended up winning, like literally winning and taking myself into like a world-class time into the world championships. It was like that quick, the transition. But I think about discipline, not being fearful. Then once you start to understand about your competitors and you're up against them, then you start getting worried. That's when it all starts going a bit more, you know. When you have that attitude like, oh, I don't care, you know, just run, see what happens. It was all going well. But yeah, then I just won loads of medals, you know, within that first bit. My first Commonwealth Games, I won gold. Two weeks later, I won silver at the European Championships. The following year, I won two World Championships medals I was still serving full time I used to use my leave to go away and compete and then come back and umpire around as much I mean that's how crazy it was it sounds in many ways that the military did have a positive impact on your athletic yeah. career positive I guess and negative you know you were putting probably a lot of um, 
you know, being a PT in the army and, you know, putting a lot of impact on your body, but positive from a mental perspective and you knowing or yeah. believing that you could achieve anything. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it was more the fact that I, working full time, so physically I was doing all of that and that was actually part of my athletics training because obviously the strength work was a lot and then I just had to sort of run around the track a couple of times, you know, mm. that's what it was like early days. But it puts a toll on your body. I was so strong at that time. I didn't have a breakdown for the first three years, Peter. And then when I actually did less of the strength work, more of the running, that's when my injury problems started. Games that I went to at 26, even fourth in the final and only got picked to fourth by a tenth of a second away from bronze, I ran with a stress fracture. I was actually running the heat semi-final and final with you know so that's mind over matter that's kind of like in one way but determination in another because olympics are only every four years you know and you never know if you're going to get to another one and i was serving i was a military soldier i've come to olympic games i'm like there's no way i'm going home you know and that was my attitude that i had at that time so whilst it's and it was a really good one in that sense but of course it has an impact on you you know and your mental thought injuries as well as your physical thank you i love the fact when you were training that you did something that was really unheard of at the time trained with your rival so instead of you seeing it as a limitation mm. you know you said that you know you realized that your skill set complemented her skill set and they do say that to be the best you have to surround yourself with people better than you so after sydney you started training with um, maria matola who was seen as one of your biggest rivals at that point. What was it like training yeah. with someone like Maria? And do you think this contributed to your success in 2004? So I went to train with her at the end of 2002. So I'd won the mm. Commonwealth Games in Manchester, I got silver in the European Championships. But I was still, I was going around sort of the same cycle of, you know, kind of, getting to an end of season or part of the season, I was injured. And, you know, I was 32 then. And um, I knew that the next Olympic Games would probably be my last, having won a bronze in Sydney, uh, where Maria had won gold. And obviously, I'd known Maria for years as an athlete and competitor because she won first world championships back in 93 that I sat watching the final when I only got to the semi. You know, this is how long I've known her. She was probably one of the best middle distance runners in the world ever for 800 metres. She was living in South Africa and I've been training in South Africa for years and I also know her coach, Margot Jennings. So I'd actually said to her, coach, would Maria mind me coming to train with her? You know, I'm going for the 1500, she's obviously 800. Maybe we would complement each other. And the difference that I realised, and yeah, the reason why it was so positive, in one sense, a little bit negative, a little at some time actually, which I'll go into in a minute, but very positive in a way that she'd been an athlete, never got injured, you know, like literally had no injuries. So she had this, you could probably see the glow around her of that air of confidence because she was unbeaten for years and years and years. And when you've got someone like that, it's a different world, you know. I, I was kind of always like, kind of fighting back from injury and overeating chocolate because I was pissed up and down and she was like you know kind of always this blinkered athlete um and so when I met her and started training with her all I could see was all like down 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 you know training eating properly sleeping like that it was literally regimented and that was a massive change for mm. me good one in a way because I'm thinking 
okay, if I need to be the best, she's she's the best. If I need to be the best, I've got to have that mentality. Yes. Yeah. I don't do it by being in her environment. Because mm. when you're in the UK, our environment's very different. You know, lifestyles are very different. When I was in South Africa, it was rural. It was kind of, I was only there to train. So by training with her, brought me on in one sense because, she was so strong and powerful. I mean, like literally so strong. So I upped my game, my strength. And I was really good at speed endurance. So I would pull her on those sessions. She would pull me the others. So the complementary factor was really good. But of course, both in our mindset, and especially in mine, I'm the 1500 meter runner, even though I have to say, I'd always doubled up and done 815. So realistically, I probably wasn't 800. But it was more her coach that I wanted because her coach like this small she used to be a primary school teacher yeah. coach Eugene Oregon you know wear flat cap and mm. socks up with her sandals on that kind of <laughs> look and but she was so motivating you know and she said to me you know write down your weaknesses and write down your strengths and I only wrote two strengths and I had a list of weaknesses she said you've got to change you need to change your mindset. mindset. You need to believe in yourself more. And you have to know that those things on that list need to be moved over. And it was all about injuries and setbacks and, and everything. So I changed my approach. And that just helped me elevate my confidence so much more as an athlete. I mean, it didn't stop some things that happened later on in between Athens and that. But it certainly, from a performance perspective even though I'd been very successful and at that stage had won before I went to her eight international medals, it took me to another level of believing. Mindset is super important. What rituals do you do today to keep your mental health intact? I, I believe in exercise for your mental health, not just pushing the body, just getting out, breathing, walking, doing something you enjoy. Really, really vital. I have this little kind of saying, uh, positive attitude today or positive attitude time so it's pat so basically all my military emotion not know that it's like pat so you either especially if you're doing my session you either need to wake up with positive attitude today or you need to bring pat to that session and i've gone with that mantra because i think i'd say a lot of times you can come with a negative environment you know we can always see a negative in things because change happens in your life of any disruption suddenly it's like oh my gosh I can't cope instead of going no I'm gonna cope I'm just gonna have to adapt you know it's, it's just when you say something it's completely from you saying one thing one way to one thing another you completely change your attitude so that's how I do it and for my own health mental health I'm not so tough on myself. I was always so tough on myself, as in where I was going in life, having to transition again. You know, I retired from a 10-year career and now effectively was retiring from a 13-year career. Who I was, I'd lost my identity. I didn't know what my drive was, my direction in life was, you know, and I didn't really realise what other skills I had until I started my charity back in 2008 and I realized that actually using transferable skills was going to help me so identifying all the things that I'd learned for all of my careers personally that could be the driver for me to be successful again so I started to kind of having to evolve and I suppose the biggest change has probably been the last three years since my mum passed away when I realized that you know at the end of the day we have our life to live and we have to live it 
in that day-by-day mode because you do not know what is around the corner. And that attitude, I think, is something that I now bring so much more than I ever did. Let's talk about your mum. It sounds like she was an incredible lady. You tragically lost her in 2017. How would you best describe your mum and what are your fondest memories of her? Well, certainly she was... uh, She had this kind of inner determination, completely different to me, as I say, unless it was on darts at the British Legion or something. (laughs) 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 But so she wasn't sporty at all, but Mm. I think she had that, you know, you know, kind of like grit and fight. You know, she was a person that if you have to think about this, you know, so being in the UK in the 70s, and she had me when she was 17, so a mixed-race child in the 17s, coming back to Kent. So I live in Kent, southeast of England. It's a white, uh, it's a white community, effectively. That's what it was, especially in the eight, uh, 70s. And, you know, as a young girl being told by your father that you can't look after your child until you can look after yourself, you can either buckle and kind of give up and just think, okay, or fight. So... I went into a child's home at that time, but she'd already been with me into mother and baby units and things like that. I went into a child's home just because of, um, you know, my granddad, her dad telling her she had to. And uh, I was in that room for five years till she met my dad, my stepdad. And um, what I definitely know I've got from her and what I know she had and how actually I respect that character in her was, you know, when the adoption people came to sign the papers to give me, literally hand me over, she refused and tore up the papers and said, I'm not, you know, there's no way. And uh, she just thought to get me back. And basically that was her life. You know, she was a young 20-year-old then who didn't give up on something. So I feel like even though it's very different, you know, hers is about a life and a child and whatever, mine's about fighting for success, it's still fight, isn't it? And um, I definitely got that in me from her. And then, yeah, she um, unfortunately had myeloma, which is cancer of the blood and the bone. Uh, It was such a shock. One didn't hear about it, didn't know about that kind of cancer. Secondly, she's just seemed normal, healthy, you know, when she was diagnosed. And then suddenly your world gets tipped upside down. You know, her, first of all. And then your family, when, you know, you get to that end point, which is just not nice. People again from a mental health perspective don't talk enough about bereavement and how that affects you and what you can do even though there's no rule book to try and cope with that situation and these things are what I've learned more about about being more open and honest so that other people can share as well or learn that they're not alone. Yeah had you lost anyone else significant to you? prior to your mum passing my nan my granddad you know all very very sad all of those you know I'd lost two nans two granddads mm. you know all of that but not you know my mum was as I said only 17 years older than me so you have a close-knit thing especially when you've gone through a lot of things you know and when you hear somebody that's only 17 years older than you especially when you get older saying you know they're too young to die they don't want to die that all that stuff that rocks you you know, and then you start questioning yourself. You go, hold on a minute, she only died at this age. You know, and oh my gosh, like, what does that mean for my life? Not that there's any common ground to it, and it's not a hereditary disease. But suddenly you start going, what if I only had 
whatever 30 years left of my life like what if I, if only and I knew that you know what why did I do but then what if I don't what if I only have a year so I end up thinking do you know what you have to make the most of your life because that really rocked me that was the worst time of my life not the depression I had mm. breakdown the self-harming that I did none of that was as bad as losing my mum but it also made me change my perspective on life as I say you know I started to realize that actually I'm in control of my life no one I'm, I'm out of control to that type of thing but I'm in control to my actions each day yeah losing someone you love does make you have think you about I have yeah and I look I'll probably it gets me even talking about it now but it was a similar similar time to when you lost your mom I think I lost my grandma in yeah and I say I think I should know the day but you know, it, it was, it was, yeah. just, I think it was about three years ago. It was 2017. I lost my grandma. Prior to that, um, a few years before that, about three or four years before that, I lost my granddad as well. And, you know, when people used to say, when people used to say to me that they'd lost someone close to them, I'd kind of go through the motions and I'd say, oh, I'm really sorry, but I never quite got it. Yeah, it I never quite understood until. I lost my granddad and I knew because I was so close to my nan and granddad, um, yeah. closer to them more than, than anyone, you know, they were yeah. both like a mom and dad to me in any way, in, in many ways. And, and I knew that my heart would be broken when my dad, granddad yeah. passed away. Oh my God, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared no. for the pain that I felt oh, when it, when it happened. And, yeah. um, and it hit me like a ton of bricks massively yeah. and yeah it I did question a lot I questioned a lot about my life like where I was going at the point I was training excessively um I was doing triathlon I, I was always into running and then I progressed to triathlon and I mean I was never any very fast but I trained a lot and um and I, I was just training too much and I wasn't very healthy I wasn't you know and it really made me just kind of look at my life and think right I need to get my body back into balance. And I made a yeah. lot, a lot of changes. Um, but look, they'd lived their life. I mean, granddad was like 84. Nana, I think they were, they were both like in their late 80s. They'd lived an amazing, but, amazing life. And well, that's it. I mean, my mom was 98. Mm. You know, that one was 98. My other died a lot earlier. But the, I think the thing that hit us with that, with my mom, was that, we just assumed, you know, my mum used to say, oh, my gosh, we're going to live forever. And I'm like, yeah, brilliant. My mum goes, oh, no, I don't live that old. And I'm like, oh, yeah, bring it on. And um, so we just assumed that we would live till, you know, old age, which is our, all of our assumptions, I think, you know, when you grow up is, you, you know, you're born, you live through your life, you go through your teens, you go through your work life, you retire, you have a nice life because you're retired, and then you get older when you pass away, you know, but it's not like that, is it? Yeah. And, you know, that thing, heck, going 30, what, 36 years before my nan, or 34 years before my nan, was just like, how is this, how, how is this possible? So that's the thing, because we just do not know. Yeah, it's hard, and people don't talk about it enough, and I think they should, because, one, like you say, you can't ever prepare for it, but if you understand it's going to rip your heart out, that's a bit of an understanding that this is going to be tough, yeah. you know. Um, and so you can prepare in a way of emotionally that, oh, and people won't like it, they're going to hate it, but you should talk about it mm. a bit more. 
But how, how have you dealt with her loss even now? Is it, um, is it still quite raw to you? You know, they always said, and they always said before this, that time's a healer. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily heal anything, mm. but it mm. certainly makes things a lot easier to deal with as time goes on because life is carrying on. So their memory will never go. The thought of them doesn't go, but the pain starts to ease. You know, that's how I would figure it. And also at the initial stage, my friends being around me, oh my gosh, without them, I wouldn't have coped at all. And the reason that they were so instrumental is that when I went through all my other mental health problems during my career, I'd never told them. And they were so distraught that I suffered alone that I bowed to them that whenever I needed them, I would like, literally meet them and call them. And they, without a doubt, just helped me through that period. But yes, I think it's more as time goes on, it just gets sort of pushed a little bit further back within you. It's not like here. It's not here all the time. It's still in there. It's never going to go. But it, it, you just, and it's, it's different, you know, little things that come up, birthdays and, you know, kind of significant periods and seeing a photo that you haven't seen for ages or seeing them on a video. And that I, I don't like seeing the live video things. That really kills me. Yeah. But, you know, those little things bring it back. Other things I think you end up dealing with. Yeah, definitely. I, I do think it gets easier over time. And you, I know for me with, with Nano and Granddad, I just, now I just think of it so fondly of yeah, you know, the yeah, times, the right, moments, yeah. the special moments that we had together. Did you have any regrets when your mom passed? Did you say everything that you wanted to say to her? Were the things left unsaid? No, I don't think anything was left unsaid, but unfortunately I wasn't there when she actually passed away. That killed me because I was with her every single day at the hospital before that, like literally I'd cycle. I was into my cycling then, so I'd cycle over to hospital. You know, it was miles, like 15, 18 miles away. I'd stay the whole day with her, cycle like, every single day. Then I took her out on the Friday, thinking everything was okay, went away at the weekends, and then all hell broke loose and I wasn't there and just got a call. I just had this feeling this one morning. I was like, something's not right. You know, I had a sixth sense, I suppose. Something's not right. And I'd text my brother and I went, is mum all right? Can you just check on her? And then checked on her and all hell let loose. And literally she died that morning. It's just, oh my God, i never forget it. Not being able to get back in time. You know, that is my biggest regret, not being able to get back in time. But I almost feel like maybe she, I've got two, another sister and two brothers and the two brothers didn't see her as much, were with her. And the two sisters that saw her all the time didn't, weren't with her so it's almost like she's kind of like we're going to be the ones that really suffer <laughs> you know you just feel like okay why did this happen why then why when we weren't oh. you know my sister couldn't get there in time over and you just go why and that's the worst thing is not having been there however maybe in a way a good thing yeah yeah and they do say they choose the time don't they maybe she knew that you were away because I you were away working weren't you yeah, I think it was, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, it was so clean. And that's what life is, isn't it? Your time is your time. Yeah. You, you can't ask questions and we can always wonder, but we can't deal, we can't change it. So. But you were very blessed to have an amazing mom. And for sure, like she would have been so, well, you know that she was incredibly proud of you. Yeah, she was definitely very proud of me. And yeah. You, you couldn't want anything more than that, really. I get I get choked up talking about it. <laughs> okay. 
let's talk about your future, Kelly. Um, like you've given me almost 50 minutes of your time, so we'll wrap up shortly. So let's talk about what the future holds for you. Because for, as an, an Olympian and someone who's been in the military, you have very high expectations for yourself. What <laughs> sight do you have on any particular goals in the future? Gosh, well, the concepts and things that I've been growing for a long, long time. So I just want to make sure this doesn't go mad. Let me, um, thank you. Just getting my charger before it goes up. It's typical, isn't it? I've got 4% and I'm worried that it's going to kick up. Nice. It might last, actually. Because I'll, I'll keep it because otherwise I'm going to disturb this podcast. Um, what have I got left in my future... But I'm still driven to succeed. I'm still driven to do new things, you know, business. I want to, you know, the business things that I've started and created, like an employee lifestyle and fitness app that I've, I've launched and delivered it while in lockdown to a PLC. My first PLC, I'm hoping that that becomes successful mm. because it's in the tech, something that's very new to me, you know, and then, you know, the military emotion concept about really building on communities and pushing people to have both um, a strong mental and physical attitude to life. For me, those two things are where my energy has been at the moment because I enjoy it. And so, yeah, I just want to keep striving and, you know, you learn everything so much. You know, I've learned a lot during this time that I didn't know before. And I I want to still, you know, people say, people say, oh, yeah, but, you know, why don't you just chill out a bit? And I'm like, yeah, well, I remember Eddie Izzard. So Eddie Izzard is a stand-up comedian, yeah. director, film producer. I mean, actor, he's just everything. Mm. He's just talented, that man. Uh, I remember doing a oh, podcast. Marathon. He did the marathons, didn't he? Oh, yeah, the 27 That's marathons. Right. That's right, yeah. Right now, Mandela. I mean, crazy, absolutely amazing. Uh, but he said to me once, I'm unapologetic for being driven. And I was mm. like, oh, my gosh, I love that. He yeah. said, why? He said, my life, I enjoy what I do. Yes, it's hard, but it's my life. Exactly. He said, and I remember literally saying, I'm unapologetic for being driven. I was like, oh, my God, I love you. <laughs> yeah, and I love that. And if that makes other people feel uncomfortable, then that's on them. Kelly, thank you so much for, for your time today. Um, thank you. You know, you've continued to use your platform since 2004 when you won double gold. You've continued to use your platform to inspire others and speak very openly about mental health, Daily Homes Trust. Um, so that reinforces mm -hmm. to us more than ever that you really are um, a true legend. So thank oh. you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Zoe. Thanks and, so much. And all the best with your recovery. <laughs> yes thank you i'll be good i'll be sensible <laughs> and thank you guys for, for tuning in all right thank you so much thanks kelly